Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Active Allyship. It's more than a hashtag. Sunny is away today. Today, we are joined by the wonderful Douglas Abrams to talk about the Book of Hope, Jane Goodall and Douglas Abrams with Gail Hudson, a survival guide for trying time. Douglas Abrams is a New York Times bestselling co-author of The Book of Joy, Lasting Happiness, and A Changing World with His Holiness the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu, the first book in the Global Icon series. Douglas is also the founder and president of Idea Architects, a literacy agency. Doug. Douglas Abrams is a New York Times bestselling co-author of the book of Douglas Abrams is a New York Times bestselling co-author of the book of joy, lasting happiness in a changing world with his holiness, the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu, the first book in the global icon series. Douglas Douglas is also the founder and president of Idea Architects, a literary agency and media development company helping visionaries to create a wiser, healthier, and more just world. Douglas Abrams, welcome to Active Allyship. It's more than a hashtag. Hey, it's Sunny Days. I am the co-host and co-creator of Active Allyship. It's more than a hashtag. Listen, I am a podcast her, okay, H-E-R, an activist, a thought leader, pin pusher, and lover of poodles. And I'm Lisa Davis, MPH. I am a lover of social justice, healthy living, dogs. And I love being the co-host and co-creator of Active Allyship. It's more than a hashtag. Now is the time for honest, unfiltered conversations, for authentic voices and their stories, and for connection. Join us as we confront the moment head on with this podcast. It is passionate. It is real as lives behind the headlines. Active Allyship, it's more than a hashtag. And listen, it goes beyond the likes, the retweets, and the hashtags, making space for the vital dialogue necessary for racial justice. And now, on to the show. Hi, I'm 
Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Active Allyship. It's more than a hashtag. My co-host Sunny is away today. Described by the Washington Post as a myth-busting portrait of black women in America, the sisters are all right. Changing the broken narrative of black women in America became a touchstone of black feminist thought when it was first released in 2015. The Sisters Are All Right explores areas such as marriage, motherhood, health, sexuality, and beauty with real-life stories by real black women who are living their everyday lives to find the distorted caricature of themselves brought on by centuries of stereotypes. Well, this wonderful book is back in its second edition. Again, The Sisters Are All Right, Changing the Broken Narrative of Black Women in America with Tamara Winfrey Harris. Tamara Winfrey Harris is a writer and evangelist for free black womanhood whose work has appeared in the New York Times, The Atlantic, New York Magazine, Cosmopolitan, and more. She is the author of Dear Black Girl, Letters from Your Sisters on Stepping into Your Power, as well as what we're talking about today, The Sisters Are All Right. Tamara, welcome to Active Allyship. It's more than a hashtag. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so good to have you on. I wish Sunny was here. I'm hoping that uh, you'll come back. We can talk about that later. These narratives are so damaging and these tropes and these ideas, and you break them down so well. Just wanted to read one thing. Uh, well, that's a lie. I'll probably read more than one, but <laughs> Black women organizers routinely put their lives on the line to protest, protest violence against other bodies while brutality against ours provokes shamefully little passion. Black women with privileges such as class, education, and light skin have far better access to power achievement, insulation from racism and misogyny sold separately. Too many of us are poor. Too many of us don't have health care. And you go on being, you know, buried under college DAG, trying to get post-secondary education. And Sunny, who's my co, who's a black woman, shares a story where these two men come into her office. It literally says her name on the desk and they're still confused. They're like, can we see? She's like, yeah, that's me. (laughs) F an idiot, you know? So, you know, I wrote the first edition of this book six years ago, and I wrote it because I was just angry at the way people were talking at and about Black women, but not listening to us. You know, it seemed like at the time, every headline, every discussion, every Sunday sermon was, you know, Black women, were they're, they're too broke, they're too sick, they're too fat, they're too loose, they're too independent, they're too single. My favorite was always too successful for anyone to marry them. That was my favorite. Uh. Um, And it just bore no relation to the Black women I actually know, even the ones who may fit some of those descriptors, right? Because, you know, it the the conversation was reductive um, and it robbed us of our humanity. And most of all, it was rooted in these centuries old stereotypes. And so I wanted to talk about those stereotypes and how they followed us. But then most importantly, I wanted to talk to a diverse group of Black women about what our lives are really like, which is a lot more nuanced and hopeful than people would have you believe. Yeah. And that's what I thought was so great about the book is there's so many stories in the book. You write about 39-year-old Heather Carper. She grew up in Kansas and she writes that she learned uh, at least one lesson very early. Quote, Black girls were never the cute ones. You could be cute for a Black girl, but you were never the pretty one. You write too, the message that black natural hair is innately wrong is one that girls receive early. Like that's just soul crushing. 
Mm-hmm. And we and and what's difficult, the reason these things, you know, I've started thinking of them almost like it's hypnotizing, right? Right, yeah. Because we're constantly fed these lies so often that it feels like truth. And so even, you know, uh, uh, an experience that, you know, many um, Black women that I talked to shared is this idea when we're growing up that when you get pretty, when it's Easter or it's school picture day, then you have to straighten your hair. Then then your hair has to be straight. Then, then you have to have pretty hair. You know, you can have your regular hair, <laughs> you know. Oh, my gosh. I had never thought of that. Sort of the rite of passage of becoming adult when you start straightening your hair and, you know, you stop wearing like braids and and things like that. And the fact that even legally, you know, um, a few years ago, I think it was the Southeast District, I think it's the 11th District um, Court ruled that it was okay to deny someone employment because they wear locks, which I do. Um, so, you know, those are all messages that, that reinforce this idea that what's growing out of your head, the naturally way you are, is somehow wrong and needs to be fixed. Right. You know, another thing that grabbed me, because I have a master's in public health, and I've known for years that racism is a public health epidemic. It's a catastrophe, to say the least. When you were writing about the health chapter and about, you know, black, fat black women, mm-hmm. it's like, well, can we look at disparities, please? Can we look at disparities in healthcare? Can we look at availability to food? Can we look at availability to cost? Can we look at like, nobody's effing looking at that. They're just like, oh, there's that fat black woman who's not taking care of herself. Safety of communities. Ah. Can I get like, can I, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm privileged. I can get out and walk around my suburban community. Can all black women get out and safely just go for a walk at night around their community? Do they have time to? How many jobs are there working? What are their responsibilities? How expensive is healthy food? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Go to the doctor. Are they listened to? Or are they told that you're fine or you're making it up or just lose weight? You know? Yeah, they're definitely not listened to. I mean, you talk about Serena Williams in the book. And what happened to her. And there was a, we had another woman on the show and she was talking about telling very specifically, do not give my newborn formula, like and under any circumstances. And of course they gave her formula. I said that too. And, and my baby was very difficult. She has some special needs and she was so loud. They wouldn't let her stay in the nursery, but they still didn't give her the formula. Isn't that interesting? Like they, they, you think because she's so loud, they would have been like, we got to feed this kid's not, the breast milk's not working or whatever. But no, because I'm a white woman, they're like, well, you, she can't be in here, but you, yeah, we won't give her the formula. But the black woman, I, I'm, I, my, my child's very unusual. <laughs> she had her <laughs> neurotypical baby who was just, you know what I mean? But they still gave her the damn formula. It makes me so angry. There's, you know, there's, it was actually a case last year here where I am in central Indiana of a black woman who was a doctor with COVID and who, you know, was quite vocal about the fact that she didn't feel like she was getting the treatment that she should. She was a doctor. She's dead now. Oh God, I'm so, that's awful. You know, um, you know, there's a story in the book about um, a woman who talked about, you know, going to get prenatal care and finding um, other mothers in this, you know, healthcare facility that served mostly black women with not enough chairs and pregnant women sitting on the floor. So just, just basic dignity that is robbed from black women um, by the healthcare system. 
Oh, you know, the other thing, too, is your chapter on anger. Quote, the idea that black women are angry, hostile, aggressive is persi- persuasive, excuse me, not persuasive, pervasive and burdensome and leaves them vulnerable and able to defend themselves when they need to. And that's something that Sonny and I have talked about. You know, as a white woman, we're, when we're talking about these issues, I get so angry and I can yell and scream and swear. But she's like, listen, I can't. I was like, oh, my gosh, you're right. You know, it's just such so eye opening. Right. And I think and and the thing is, there's so much to be angry about. Like, I don't even understand how people are saying. Oh, my gosh, you hit it on the head. Like, it's it's two things. It's like one, it robs some of us, especially though, those of us who like want to, you know, enter like um, professional spaces. So, you know, Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, came out several years ago. And, you know, I kept thinking when reading it, even though I got some good things out of it. Yeah, but I can't always lean in. You know, a lot of black women that I talk to are like, they have to be extra kind of, hey, could you smiley face, smiley face, get that report to me, kind of, sort of, sorry, you know, in, you know, extra obsequious in order to communicate in the workplace. But on the other hand, black women have plenty to be angry about. And so when we are angry and we do raise our voices, then we're aggressive. And, you know, there's that intersection of police violence that we often don't talk about how police violence touches black women as primary victims, not because we're married to men or the mothers of boys, but because we're seen as equally aggressive as black men and boys. And so, you know, reap the consequences of that. Yeah. You know, you just mentioned mothers. You have a whole chapter on motherhood. Um, Black motherhood attracts none of the gauzy sanctity afforded white mothers. So, you know, if you go back to the origins of some of these stereotypes and you go back to America, uh, chattel slavery, like you don't get misty eyed about, you know, your mule giving birth. You know, that's new property that you're going to use. And that is how black women were used, you know, in the early days of this country. And I think that idea of us as beasts of burden has kind of followed us over centuries. So we don't feel as, you know, the country does not feel as sympathetic to black mothers who are crying over their children on television. It doesn't feel, we just talked about, doesn't feel as empathetic to black women you can sit on the floor it's you know it's just you know you just pop them out it's just you know and one thing a mother says in the book is that people don't think black mothers are thoughtful yeah like like we don't think about it's like we don't think about mothering and how we're going to mother and we're not they don't think we're intentional that it's just like biological imperative um and that's damaging oh Absolutely. I mean, there, there's so many things. And I'm going quick only because I don't have a lot of time. with you. So I'm like, I want to get to all the things. So I was listening to this great conversation. It was an interview from I think it was Club Book, it was called. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about how sometimes it's hard because women in your own family, especially when it comes around being quote unquote loose, right, where your aunt will be like, don't wear that, you know, or your, your sister or somebody in the family or your grandma's like, hey, that's a little too tight or watch, watch, watch what you're doing. And, and that whole thing about black women's sexuality. And I think too, with the women nowadays who are singing about wet pussy and owning it. Right. And it's like, that's not right. And I'm like, no, I think that's, yeah, I'm like totally empowered. Right. So 
<laughs> it's so it's so again it goes back to that thing about these lies kind of being hypnotizing yeah none of us escape it like you grow up hearing it as a white woman i grow up hearing it as a black and it affects us. It seeps into our heads. Right. And so when we go to mother, you know, our, our nieces and, you know, children and we're teachers and all of those things, that's still in our heads. And then there's that extra thing, fear. You know, I want my nieces to be okay. And I know how society views Black women that they view as being promiscuous. And so there is a tendency, like it's hard to resist the tendency to tell them to just give in, just don't be that thing, just hide your sexuality, just be chaste, be, you know, but then that gives in to the idea that women don't, can't own their own sexuality. Right. Um, and so I think it's much more useful. I actually said in, in my other book that came out this year, Dear Black Girl, it's much more useful for black women, when we talk to young women and girls to approach them with vulnerability and sharing our fears and our stories, instead of being the person that tells them, just straighten your hair, just don't wear that, just don't be sexual, just do what you need to do so that they don't see you in that monstrous way. Right. Yeah. Cause that's, that's so interesting because that, that was something else you talked about in that interview in book club was about the, you're not able to be your authentic self. How do I just be myself? How do I find myself? Melissa Harris Perry, like describe, I loved how she described it as it's like standing in a crooked room yeah. and it's like you're in front of a fun house mirror and you don't know how to write yourself because the picture you're seeing reflected back to you is not a true picture. Um, and so I think one of the first things that, that Black women need to do is we have to be students of these broken narratives and we have to learn how to spot them so that we can extract our authentic selves from that narrative and then learn how to celebrate our authentic selves, even the ways that we might actually intersect with some of those stereotypes. Because the reality is, you know, we shouldn't buy into some of those ideas like black women, like women can't have their own sexuality and women can't be angry. Like that's faulty to begin with. Oh, yeah, it absolutely is. Like it's patriarchy. Yes. Right. Yeah. Another thing you talked about in that interview, too, is how you deify black women who work themselves to death. Like Big Mama worked herself to the bone and she took care of her kids and their kids and she did this and she did that and she did that and that. And it's like, no, that's, you know, she needs to take care of herself. Like, where's the self-care? And so there's that whole idea. Well, they don't, these women don't need to care for themselves. They, they just keep going and going and going. So this, what's interesting is some of the women I talked to, the whole, the idea of the strong black woman, it's inspiring too. Sure. Like, why yeah. don't you take that away? Like, I, I am resilient. And I think the idea is, Yes, Black women have had to be resilient because of the awful things that have happened to us, but we are not unbreakable. And I was doing this wonderful book event with Karis Books and More, which is the oldest feminist bookstore in the South in Atlanta. And an older woman stood up and she was like, don't use us in our experiences because many of us are like, well, but my great, great grandmother, she like raised 10 kids during Jim Crow in Alabama and she didn't need a therapist. So why should I? Uh -huh. She's like, don't use 
don't use our experiences to justify not taking care of yourself. In many cases, we wished we had access to that kind of support. You know, we were resilient and kept going because we had to. You deserve self. We deserved self-care. We deserved that. We just didn't get it. So you deserve that as well. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's what's so hard is that when you're living with all of these stereotypes and all these narratives in your head and you're like, well, you know, my grandma did it. Is it okay for me? Like you're saying, and it can be very, I'm assuming it can be very confusing and, and upsetting and challenging to figure out, again, getting back to that authentic self, what's good for you? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> Just because you can withstand something. And it is, it is. It is important to understand who you are and what your needs are apart from that soundtrack always running in your head about who black women are or should be. You know, in the last couple minutes, I just want to talk a little bit about marriage. So it is true. Black women are half as likely to marry as white women for a variety of, of, of reasons, you know, over policing and incarceration. Um, there's an achieve the, there's an achievement gap between white women and white men, but the, the achievement gap is wider between, you know, black women and black. So there are a lot of different reasons, but of course, um, because of sexism, the reason that was this lifted up most often is there must be something wrong with you, black woman, because you weren't chosen. Because, you know, women are supposed to be chosen. So if you don't have a man, who chose you? So it, it, ignores, <laughs> it ignores black, you know, it ignores that women should be able to dictate their own lives and choose their partners. It ignores queer women who right. want to marry other women. It ignores women who have been married and like, I don't want to get married again. It, it, ignores, <laughs> it, it ignores married women like me. So again, it's this broken, faulty narrative that defaults to something must be wrong with Black women. Right. And, you know, the sisters are all right. There was a, a line in the book. The sisters are all right, intrinsically valuable and human, and we are still struggling. The book is fantastic. The sisters are all right, changing the broken narrative of Black women in America, second edition, Tamara Winfrey Harris. How do we find out all about you? And I want you to come back and meet Sunny. And I want please. you to come back and talk about Dear Black Girls. Yes, please come back. I'd love to come talk about Dear Black Girls. Yes. People can, you can reach me at TamaraWinfreyHarris.com. Find me on Twitter at what Tammy said, T-A-M-I, and on Instagram at Tamara Winfrey Harris. I would love to come back. Yay. Thank you so much for listening to Active Allyship. It's more than a hashtag. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Tell your friends and family. This is really important, and we want to get the word out. So glad that you're listening. Please keep coming back. Also, follow us on Instagram at Active allyship.podcast. Thank you so much.